How's everybody doing uh, tonight? Great, great. Thanks for being here. Good to have you here. Uh, today we're beginning this new series called Alive Without Breathing. And uh, here's what we're going to do to get started. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. So would you just go ahead right now where you are and uh, stand up. And uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little breath holding contest. All right. I've been told that the average person can hold their breath for 30 seconds. But I've always believed that River Glen is an above average church. Right. All right. Yeah. And so we're going to see if you can hold your breath for 35 seconds, all right? Now, if you've got a health issue, you know, feel free to pass on this. And, uh, but the rest of us, uh, no breathing through your nose, no cheating, we're in church, all right? And uh, we've got a countdown clock that's going to come up. We've got some breath-holding music to uh, help us uh, stay focused. And so when I tell you, tell you, take a deep breath and hold it, all right? And if you can't hold it, just stay standing, all right? All right, ready? <clears throat> all right, everybody take a nice deep breath. And go. Almost didn't make it. <laughs> That's a long 35 seconds, wasn't it? Now, if you held your breath 35 seconds, just thrust your arms up like an Olympic athlete, all right? You're way above average. Start high-fiving people. Uh, way to go. And uh, if you didn't make it, just turn to the people around you and say grace. You know, that's why I'm here anyway. Just grace. All right, everybody. Great job. You can go ahead and, and sit down. And I'm going to catch my breath a little bit here. <clears throat> and uh, let you know that uh, the idea for this series is really inspired by this quote from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr., who said that being a Christian without praying is like being, a, being alive without breathing. Yeah, just imagine if uh, I asked you to hold your breath, you know, for this whole talk, you know, 25, 30 minutes long. You know, if you were able to do that, you would break the world record for holding your breath. Yeah, take a look at the screens. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine holding your breath for 17 minutes? And get this, this is really crazy. Tom Sietis is his name. He broke that record. Uh, in 2012, he held his breath for over 22 minutes. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, if you and I tried to do that, if we, we would probably get to about the three, four, five-minute mark, and we would just black out. We would pass out because our body would force us to breathe because to live is to breathe. And in the same way, following Jesus means that there's certain things that we just can't live without, you know, like prayer, like serving, like scripture, you know, the Bible, things that we're going to talk about in this series. These things are like oxygen in our lives. And to go without them is like trying to be alive without breathing. You know, many of you have probably heard this uh, sleep uh, disorder. It's very common. It's called sleep apnea. And uh, over 22 million Americans have sleep apnea. This word apnea, maybe you noticed it in the video, Tom wore something with that word. The word apnea literally means without breath. And so people with sleep apnea, they have, they have periods while they sleep when they actually stop breathing. 
And it can, be, it can be very serious. Sleep apnea can cause you to feel drowsy and tired all the time. It can cause forgetfulness and memory problems. It can cause depression. It can lower your ability to control your emotions and your uh, behaviors, all because your body is not getting the oxygen that it desperately needs. You're alive, but you're not breathing right. Take a look at something Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. It's just a remarkable statement. Jesus said, said this. He said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Isn't that great? I mean, that Jesus came so that you, so that I could, could have that right there. Life and have it to the, the full. But here's my concern for you individually and for, for me and for us as a church. Many of us spiritually, you know what? We're like, we're like somebody with sleep apnea and we're not breathing right. And consequently, we're not getting the oxygen that, that we need. You ever ask yourself questions like, you know, why am, I, why am I just spiritually tired? Why do I feel discouraged? Why does my life sometimes just seem out of control? Why is following Jesus, why does it seem so hard for me and other people just, just go flying by? Could it be that you just aren't getting the oxygen that's so necessary for our spiritual lives. You know, about a year ago, I found myself feeling that way, not, not physically, but, but spiritually. It's right before vacation. And so I, uh, I took a bunch of podcasts, talks from other pastors and authors to listen to on vacation. And uh, I listened to some research by this uh, woman named Callie Parkinson. It really impacted me and, 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 and helped me uh, to make some changes in my life. And last fall, I decided, you know what, I ha- I've got to do a series on this on the weekends at, at River Glen, because this was like oxygen for my soul. Now, I know next weekend is Fourth of July weekend, and you may have other, other plans, but if possible, I, I really hope that you'll be here next Sunday, because I'm going to teach something that I started doing about a year ago, and it's been like pure oxygen for me, and maybe it'll help you too. Here's what Callie discovered. She talks about this in her book, a recent book, it's called Move. Over a period of, of several years, beginning in 2004, Callie and her team surveyed over 1,500 churches and over a half million Christians nationwide. And she wanted to discover what is it that really helps people to grow spiritually. She created this continuum with four categories that every church attender fits into when it comes to spiritual development. The first category is uh, exploring Christ. And these are people that are just investigating who Jesus is. And then the next category is growing in Christ. These are, these are new believers. These people are really excited about church, but they don't really take their faith outside of the weekend services. And then third are those close to Christ. These people follow Jesus all week long. They read their Bible. They pray, and Jesus influences them, but he's not the only thing influencing them. And then fourth is Christ-centered. These people have really just surrendered their entire life to following uh, Jesus. All right, now here's what's really interesting that Callie and her team discovered. Callie identified the number one catalyst that moves people through these stages, okay? And so wherever you're at spiritually, she identified uh, the oxygen, okay, that'll help you grow spiritually. And it's not a church activity. It's a personal spiritual practice because the goal isn't a relationship with a church. The goal is a relationship with Jesus, Here it is. Here's the number one source of oxygen based on on their research. You reflect on scripture for meaning in your life every day. 
Callie calls this reflection the vanilla of spiritual growth. Now, when I first heard that, I'm like, you know, what does that mean? Vanilla of spiritual growth? She explained that according to the polls, if you ask people, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? What do you think people would say is the number one? What do you think is the number one most popular flavor? Anybody? Yeah, vanilla, right. And then uh, number two, what would you guess? Good. Yeah, chocolate. Anybody, anybody guess number three? Yeah, strawberry. Yeah, but, but it's deceptive uh, because vanilla is twice as popular as chocolate and chocolate is twice as popular as, as anything else. And so when she says that reflecting on Scripture is the vanilla of spiritual growth, she means nothing is more powerful in terms of influencing your relationship with Jesus. Here's a quote from her, from her book. If churches could do only one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire, encourage, and equip their people to read the Bible, specifically on Scripture uh, for meaning, in their, to reflect on scripture for meaning in their lives. Now, now here's why I wanted to share that with you, because uh, 93% of Americans have one of these. The, the, the average house in America has three of these, all right? There's no shortage of Bibles in our, in our uh, country. But the vast majority of people crack these pages, according to the research, less than once a month. Less than once a month. Meanwhile, Callie tells us, based on her research, the most catalytic experience in helping people grow spiritually is reflection on this book right here, reflection on the Bible. I think you could say that being a Christian without Scripture is like being alive without breathing. And that's why Scripture was something that was so important to, to, to Jesus, that he inhaled and he exiled, exhaled you know, this book his entire life. And nowhere is that more obvious than when he was about 30 years of age and he just spent 40 days fasting and praying with God in the wilderness. And the devil comes to tempt him. In fact, if we go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, here's what it says. It says, after fasting uh, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Question for you. Uh, what, what's that word fasting mean? What's that mean? Anybody know what that means? To fast? Yeah, you don't eat. You go without food. And so uh, the Bible's telling us that uh, after not eating for about six weeks, that Jesus was hungry. I mean, that kind of sounds obvious, doesn't it? That's like a no-brainer. Yeah, Jesus was, was, was hungry, but not really. See, the Bible's not really stating the obvious here. Scripture's making it clear that Jesus wasn't this otherworldly being. He wasn't, you know, above it all. He was like you and me, flesh and blood, and he got hungry just like we do. I can't imagine going without food for 40 days. If I go for four hours, you know, without eating, I get, I get hangry. You ever heard that word, hangry? That means, you know, you're angry because you're hungry. Yeah, I get cranky, and I start daydreaming about pizza and Culver's, and so Jesus is super, super hungry when the temptation begins. The devil says to him, he says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread, and I imagine the devil maybe conjured up the smell of some fresh baked bread. But it wasn't time, it wasn't the right time for Jesus to end his fast. And so instead, he responds to the devil. He doesn't give in. He responds to the devil with what have become these famous words. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then secondly, the devil takes Jesus up to the top of the temple in downtown Jerusalem. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now, this is the devil speaking here. 
He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You see what what Satan's doing here? In round one, Jesus said it is written to resist the temptation, right? And now in round two, the devil says it is written to tempt Jesus. And I love Jesus' comeback here. He says, says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's like Jesus says, boom, devil. You know, you don't tell me what the Bible says, all right? Uh, You don't try to out-Bible me. And then comes temptation number three. The devil takes Jesus up to the top of this mountain and somehow shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, Jesus, I'll put you in charge of all of it. It'll all be yours if you do one little thing. You just bow down and worship me just, just one little time. And here's what Jesus says, away from me, Satan. And then he says, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know, I think we tend to underestimate just how much was on the line here, you know, with these temptations. I mean, so much was on the line. Think about this. Jesus is at the beginning of his mission, and if he gives in to one of these temptations, the mission of Jesus is over even before it starts. But Jesus doesn't give in. In fact, the Bible tells us the devil left him. Isn't that a great statement? Wouldn't you love to have that said about you? The devil left him. And here's what you can't miss. Did you notice how Jesus responded to each of these temptations? Did did you notice what drove, you know, the devil away? Jesus leaned on one little three-word phrase that uh, helped him to see what to do and what not to do. And uh, here it is. Here's what Jesus said every time. It is written. Would you say that with me out loud? Ready? It is is written. Very good. Very good. So what does all this have to do with with you? What's this have to do with me? What's this have to do with us? Well, like so many of of the stories in the Bible, the point is not just that it happened, but that it happens now. This isn't just about Jesus getting tempted. This is about the stuff that you and I deal with every day and about how what is written here in this book can help us. Here's what I mean. The first temptation tells us that reflecting on the Bible can help us in our area of weakness. The area, these areas where we have appetites that can just get way out of control. And all of us have these places in our life where, you know, we have weaknesses and where we're vulnerable. And so let me just ask you, what is your weakness? What's your weakness? You know, I think those uh, people who are close to me could probably tell you my top two or three Weaknesses, And, uh, you know, any one of these could take me out and just ruin every good thing that God wants to do. And I would say that one of them is pride. One is pride. Truth is, I enjoy the recognition of a job well done a little too much. And I can feel that. And if I crave that, if I have an appetite for that, it can drive me to overwork and... And it can cause me to push myself and to push other people too hard. And if it gets out of control, it can do some serious damage to myself, to my family, to the people that I work with, and to just people around me. How about you? What area of weakness in your life can just get way out of control? What appetite in your life just constantly says, feed me? Maybe maybe for you it has to do with drinking. I don't know, maybe it has to do with sex or maybe it has to do with food. We all have these appetites that growl, I want it now. 
And I want it more than anything in the world. And, and you know what? I guarantee you that's how Jesus felt after going 40 days without eating any food. That, that's how he felt. A part of him had to be thinking, there's nothing I need like I need food right now. But Jesus deals with this temptation to give in to his weakness with these words. It is written, man can't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Here's what this means. Here's what it means. It means I may feel like I can't live without food, or you fill in the blank, with your weakness. But what I can't live without is God and God's word and God's direction. I need that even more than I need food. And so whatever your weaknesses are, you know, if they're anything like mine, they like to come up right next to you and they whisper in your ear, you know, you, you know you got to have it. But what we need most in our lives is God and his word so that we can respond like Jesus and say, it is written. Okay, the second temptation tells us that the Bible can help us when we struggle with trusting God's way of, of doing things. And, and we all do this, right? Jesus did this too. I mean, he didn't just automatically trust God all the time like we might think. Jesus came to fulfill his mission as the Savior, as the Messiah that the people waited for and they watched for. And so the devil says to him, Jesus, throw yourself down from the top of the temple and angels are going to swoop in and keep you from hitting the ground, and everybody's going to see you, and they're going to know who you are. And in that moment, Jesus would have to decide whether he's going to do things that way, or will he do things God's way, which is a much, much harder uh, way. Now, I realize most days we're probably not tempted to you know, throw ourselves off buildings to see if God's going to catch us and uh, swoop in, but I do think the evil one comes and tempts us by saying, you know, why don't you come up with your own plan for getting what you think you want and you need? God's way, sure, God's way is good for some people, but it doesn't feel right for you. And it doesn't really make sense in your situation. You know, let me get specific. Maybe some of you are dating, okay? You're dating, and maybe you really like this other person. But, you know, Truthfully, you know, this other person doesn't share your values. You don't, you don't share the same values, or maybe they're not committed to, to following Jesus. But you tell yourself, you know what? I think it can work out. I mean, you know, if we get married, you know, she'll come around. Eventually, you know, he'll come around spiritually. It's okay. I know it's not God's way, but it just feels right. Or maybe it has to do with money. And, you know, many of us know what God teaches about, you know, giving back to him, the first 10%, to resource the, the Jesus mission and, and, and be generous. But you're convinced right now it's not possible. And so you do nothing. And all the while, you, you keep praying to God to come through for you and to bless your, your finances. And you go, I know it's not God's way, but my way just seems to make more sense right now. See, see it's really about any situation where you have to choose between my way and God's way. And so when Jesus says, it's written, don't put God to the test, he's really saying, don't try to live your life your way, no matter how it feels and, and no matter what makes sense in that moment, trust God and live life his way. And Jesus could say, it is written, because he really knew what was in this, this book. Or, or how about this? How about trusting God in your pain? You know, maybe some of you are going through some really difficult circumstances right now. You know, one of the best examples that I know of is, is the Willis family. Here's a recent picture of Scott and Janet Willis. And this goes back a ways. Maybe some of you will remember this. About 20 years ago, the Willis family of eight from Chicago were traveling through Milwaukee. 
and their minivan uh, hit something that fell off a truck in front of them, and their van burst into flames on Interstate 94, right by Layton Avenue in Milwaukee. And Scott and Janet survived, but their six children, they lost all six of their children, young children, in that fiery accident. Eight days later, they held this press conference at Freighter Hospital over in Wauwatosa, and these are the exact words of Scott Willis. He said, he said this, he said, we thank God for six precious children, four rascally boys, a sweet girl, so much like her mother, and a little baby just beginning to grow and smile. And then he goes on and he's telling the press this. We must tell you that we hurt and are grieving as parents. The depth of pain is indescribable. The Bible even expresses our feelings that we grieve but not as those without hope. What gives us our firm foundation for our hope is the Bible. The truth of God's word assures us that Ben, Joe, Sam, Hank, Elizabeth, and Peter are in heaven with Jesus Christ. And we know based upon the word of God where they are. Our strength rests in the word of God. The Bible is sure and gives us this confidence. Isn't that amazing? When, they're, you know, when their life fell apart, they were able to say, it is written. Let me ask you, do you have any areas of your life where you know, it's really hard to, to trust God, places where you hurt and, and you want to respond you know, your way, maybe, maybe in your marriage or maybe how you raise your kids or maybe it's a, a tough choice, a tough decision that you're facing right now? And the question is, are you going to do it your way or are you going to trust God and do it his way? And then in the last temptation, the devil says to Jesus, worship me and I'll give you the whole world. And this is a temptation to, to not allow God to have first place in our life. There's just so many things that compete with, for, for, for God's place. We can worship work, right? And, and we think, you know, if I just had success in my career, then everything would be great. Or we can worship relationships where we think, you know, if I just, if I just got married or if I just had a better marriage or if I had children, or if I was able to make my kids happy, then everything will be great. We can worship all sorts of things, standard of living, physical appearance, financial security, fame, you name it. All sorts of things compete for that top spot in our lives that belongs to God and God alone. And so how did Jesus respond? It is written, worship the Lord your God and so serve him only. Only God is number one. And so here's what I hope you see through the life of Jesus. Do you see how this book can, can help you? You, you? You've got areas of weakness in your life that can just do you in and just ruin everything. This book can help you. Do, you. do you ever find yourself, you know, wanting to do things your way instead of trusting God's way? This book can help you. Do you struggle with keeping God first in your life? This book can help you. And I hope what we get from this story is that because Jesus inhaled this book, when he faced these difficult situations, he was able to exhale. It is written. And that brings me to the challenge that I have uh, for you and, and for our whole church uh, this weekend. Here it is. I want you and me and all of us to start reflecting on Scripture for the next 30 uh, days. In fact, we, we, uh, we have a couple uh, reading plans to offer to you. The first one is on the back of your outline in your program. So would you go ahead and take that out for just a moment? It's on the back side. It says 30 days with Jesus. And for the next 30 days, if you want to use this plan, you read a scripture from the Gospels. And, you know, these are not, you know, super long scriptures. 
It's not like we're saying, you know, read the entire New Testament in the 30 days. Just a few verses each day to help you reflect on Scripture and give you oxygen in your spiritual uh, life. You can also go to our website, and we've got some other 30-day Bible reading plans. Or here's another option. You could purchase one of these life journals that that we had put together for this series. And they're available at the Resource Center for $6, which is our printing cost. We don't make any profit on these. And there are several, several different 30-day reading, Bible reading plans in here. And also, there are instructions and many pages that you can use to write down your reflections on the scripture that you read. This, this journal, I'll tell you, this is a great tool that has helped me. And, uh, you know, maybe this would help you get some oxygen, more oxygen in your uh, spiritual life. All right, here's two takeaways from this challenge that I want for you. First one is uh, I want for you and I want our whole, our whole church to love God's word. Love, love God's word. Did you know back in Bible times that one of the most popular uh, desserts was honey? And honey's still popular today, but uh, not like back in, in Bible times. They even used honey to teach scriptures uh, to kids. The, the rabbi would read the words of the Old Testament uh, off, a, off a slate to the kids. And if the, and if the children were able to repeat uh, the scripture back, the rabbi would just cover the slate with honey. And I know that might, this, this might sound a little, you know, ew, you know, to us today. But remember, honey was like candy back then for kids. And they would allow the kid to just eat the honey right off the Bible. You know, just like it says in Psalms, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And that's what I want for Everybody in our church, like a kid with candy, I mean, to just love and crave God's word. All right, here's a second takeaway. I want for you and and our whole church and me to to live God's word. Not just love it, but to live God's uh, word. You ever read product warning labels? There's some really funny ones out there. I I came across this uh, contest where they uh, gave prizes to the wackiest warning labels, product uh, warning labels. And uh, one of the winners was on the side of a clothing uh, iron. And uh, I don't know if you can see this. It says, it says uh, warning, uh, do not iron clothes while they are being worn. Yeah. And uh, apparently at some point, somebody ironed clothes while uh, wearing them. Well, the Bible also comes with a warning label. Yeah, here's what it says in James 1.22. It says, do not really listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so don't just read this book. Do what it says. I want our church, I want us to be a people who live God's word. All right, one more time as we uh, wrap up. I want you to hold your breath, all right? This is going to be shorter, and you don't have to stand up or anything, okay? But just seated where you are, would you just go ahead and, uh, and hold your breath? Go ahead. You know what? What you're feeling right now is not how God wants you to live. You can't do that very long. It's definitely not life and life to the full. God meant for you to inhale and to breathe deeply. And so remember, being a Christian without Scripture is like being alive without breathing. Okay, go ahead and and breathe again. And uh, let me pray for us. God, I want to say thank you so much for what's in the pages of this book. I want to say thank you for the wisdom that's in here. I want to say thank you for the guidance that's in here. I want to say thank you for the rebukes that are in here. And Lord, I would ask that you help us to be people who are constantly inhaling your word, 
so that over and over again throughout the week in every circumstance, and whenever we're tempted, we will be a people who will be able to say, it is written. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.